Welcome to the Rare and Remarkable Podcast. I'm Bobby Livingston, Executive Vice President of RR Auction. I'm with uh, Kathleen Palmer, who's our uh, Marketing Content Director. That's me. That's right, Kathleen. And we're, uh, we've got one of those collections in our auction this month that's fantastic. It comes from an original source, someone who worked with the astronauts. Kathy, you ever met, a, you ever met an astronaut? Uh, no, but I've met some men that are out of this world. <laughs> well, we've got, we've got uh, uh, Dan Shaywitz with us on the phone, and uh, he, he knew a lot of astronauts. One could say he literally breathed life into the space race. Uh, as an engineer in the late 1960s, Dan worked at Cape Kennedy on the life support and oxygen systems that the astronauts used during the Apollo 11 mission. So uh, our auction is very excited to present Dan's extensive collection of memorabilia from his firsthand experience with America's astronauts in our space and aviation auction this month. Hi, Dan. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you? Fantastic. I know that you're, you're wearing a uh, headset, and it reminds me of the very ones that uh, we have photographs that you took of the astronauts wearing their headgear with very early uh, versions of headsets. Those were probably developed just for the space program, I would think. You can, it's amazing how technology has advanced. Has advanced. Yeah. The nickname for those, as you probably know, was the uh, Snoopy headset. An amazing thing happened to you when you were young, right? You caught the fever of possible space travel and you wanted to be an astronaut? Well, I guess it all started uh, when I was about 10 years old. Um, I started uh, uh, watching TV shows like uh, a show called Captain Video and his Video Rangers. And uh, that came on the air in 1953, I believe. And and there was another show, uh, the, the Flash Gordon show, which uh, also came in uh, around 1954. So that uh, really spurred my interest into science fiction and eventually into uh, wanting to get involved in the space program and, and become an astronaut. My, my interest in, in space was, was spurred on by uh, my science teacher. I believe his name was Mr. Pratt. And in 1957, uh, we had to hand in a science notebook. And chapter one of this science notebook was uh, Exploring Space. And I actually did a drawing of the, uh, the uh, first proposed American satellite, which was the uh, Explorer. And I handed this in in September of 1957. And just a few weeks later... Believe it or not, on October 4th, as you probably know, 1957, the Russians launched Sputnik. And it, it was a very depressing time until we were able to launch our own satellite. Von Braun did it, what, 90 days later? They got that thing up there, I think. Yes, yes. Uh, yes, we did do it uh, in, uh, in January uh, of 58. Fast forward, all of a sudden... You find yourself in 1968 working uh, with who would be the first man on the moon. Yes, yeah, so I guess it was all about timing, my age, and uh, and being in the right place at the right time. Um, it, it was an incredible opportunity, and of course, uh, it was an incredible experience uh, working with the uh, 
the first astronauts to walk on a moon, specifically uh, Armstrong and Aldrin. And you uh, had you had a, a surprise ace up your sleeve in working with those gentlemen because apparently you were the same size as Neil, Al, and Gene, and you were able to test their flight suits uh, your very self. <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, I let's see. I wore uh, Neil Armstrong's suit. Uh, I was the same size as Al Shepard and also Gene Cernan. Mm-hmm. Now, see, if you'd been six foot five, your life could have been completely less fun. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly, exactly. Now, the suits that you, you wore, were these all training suits? Or did, you actually, did you actually wear the suit that Armstrong later wore on the moon and is now in the Smithsonian? Uh, no, I didn't. They were the astronauts' training suits. Uh, my first experience with, uh, with Armstrong's suit was actually in uh, our... Hamilton Standard Lab, and we were doing a, a final communications check to check the, uh, uh, the backpack communications between the astronaut and Houston. And it was about, I believe it was on May 5th of, uh, of uh, 69 in our lab. And it, it was just Complete euphoria. I, I couldn't believe where I was and what I was doing at the time. You have, I, I think, almost 150 fantastic vintage NASA items in our auction, uh, a, a real knockout collection because most of this stuff, you know, it, it, all of this stuff has never really been offered publicly. And I know you shared some of it with our friends on CollectSpace, but the vastness of your collection is, is just amazing. And the fact, I think the one thing that really... I want to bid on is is off of Neil Armstrong's um, training suit. You have a Beta Cloth logo, NASA logo, and I think it's just fantastic and it's, it's historic. How was it that you were able to uh, uh, keep that? Well, that NASA logo was on a Neil Armstrong's flight suit, and uh, we were involved in the last um, uh, rehearsal with Neil Armstrong and, and Buzz Aldrin uh, testing and evaluating the flight hardware. And all of the managers and the uh, PLSS and EMU um, uh, uh, folks were at this, uh, at this procedure. And one of, the, uh, one of the gentlemen who was the head of the program uh, happened to look at the NASA meatball patch on the Pliss, and it didn't look very, very good to him. It, it seemed like it was scratched. So he just made a comment uh, on the side and said that uh, it would be nice if you guys replaced it. Could you tell? Could you tell folks what the PL uh, the the PLSS stands for for those who aren't in the know? Oh, of course, the PLSS uh, was the Portable Life Support System that kept the astronauts alive uh, on the moon. It, it supplied their oxygen to breathe. It provided them with uh, w cooling water. It was able to actually remove the exhaled carbon dioxide, uh, and it also contained the communication system. And uh, also it had an emergency pack that was mounted on top of the portable life support system called the oxygen purge system, and that was used 
in case the portable life support system didn't work and the astronaut had to get back to the LEM, um, it, it supplied 30 minutes of breathable oxygen. Wow. It's amazing that this patch, you know, was discolored. And so the supervisor said to, to get rid of it, huh? That's, that's pretty, that's a pretty amazing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and and I'm, I'm, Fashion first. I'm glad you saved this for, for historic uh, purposes. And, you know, we're, we're thrilled to see it. The other thing that you have that I have my eye on is that, um, is Buzz Aldrin's uh, wrist uh, checklist uh, prototype that he had. That's really cool. Yes, that was very interesting. That was uh, uh, during one of the early crew training exercises with, uh, with Armstrong and Aldrin. Uh, Armstrong suggested that the procedures that they had to follow when they were on the lunar surface um, should be in some kind of a checklist. And that's the first time the word checklist came up. And uh, he proposed that there should be something on his wrist with the actual procedures that they used on the lunar surface. And that's where this checklist uh, came into being. It started with, a, uh, with the checklist that is on the, uh, in the auction, uh, and it evolved into a sewn-on beta patch on the arm of the astronauts because the one that is being um, uh, uh, auctioned it, uh, uh, rotated on his wrist, so we decided that it would be a better idea to, uh, to sew the uh, instructions on the, uh, on, on the cuff. For, for those who have never seen these checklists, it's amazing that the technology that we use to walk on the moon and do things on the moon were written on their wrists uh, where they had to g gaze down and look at, you know, so... Uh, it's like when you're trying to cheat on a math test. <laughs> you got your yes. little crib notes written on your arm. <laughs> it, it, it's, it's, right. really, it's really amazing um, thinking about the technology that you guys were developing and the ideas and, and getting us to the moon. Imagine this was all done in the 60s. It's amazing, and we've never been back to the moon. I mean, it's the greatest achievement, I think, of the second half of the 20th century, without a doubt. And you were eyewitness to this. It's, it's really great to talk to you about this, Dan. Some of the other things that you have that I have never seen are these training photographs of Armstrong and Aldrin in their suits. Um, where those are, I've just never seen them. They're amazing. Well, for every training run, there was a NASA photographer. And they really believed in documenting everything. So these pictures were taken by the NASA photographer at uh, training runs with uh, Neil and Buzz. And uh, I was able to, uh, to get them at the, you know, fr from the photographer. I was a friend. I became friends with the photographer. And after each mission, I asked him if he could give me a set. I mean, that's history as it's happening, being documented. It's just incredible. Another thing that you have, uh, Dan, is a beautiful tie tack that I guess uh, that Neil and Buzz and Mike Collins took to the, took to the moon with them. Yes, that was an interesting story. Um, when we started crew training at the Kennedy Space Center, we weren't able to use the actual flight hardware, the actual uh, life support systems that went to the moon because they only functioned on the moon. So we had to develop a substitute uh, backpack 
to keep the astronauts alive, obviously, while they were training either in the crew training building or outside the crew training building on the simulated lunar surface. Uh, during one of the first uh, crew training exercises with Neil and Buzz at Kennedy Space Center inside the crew training building, I noticed that Neil's helmet was fogging up. I knew something wasn't right. I ran over to the, uh, the backpack. That backpack we called a cryopack because it utilized cryogenic liquid air that was converted into uh, air um, gas. And what was happening is there wasn't enough heat generated by the astronauts' activity, nor was the ambient temperature high enough for the, uh, the backpack to operate. It actually froze. So we immediately ran over to the backpack, and I told the suit tech, I'm going to lower the pressure, take the helmet off. And they remembered that. And I, I believe the, uh, the crew systems division, the NASA crew systems division manager was there. And he, he told the story to Deke Slayton and they apparently remembered that. And, uh, uh, I believe that's, that, that led to the opportunity to uh, send the TITAC to the moon. Because they were so grateful for your life-saving help that they offered to take one of your items up and, uh, they had, what they say, only, it just had to be small and lightweight. Wasn't that the, uh, requirement for you? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. They took these in what they called their, uh, personal preference kits and, uh, they were very limited, uh, with respect to, uh, weight. Dan has a souvenir that actually flew on Apollo 11. So, uh, it's an incredible opportunity. Um, talk to us a little bit about uh, Buzz and and Neil uh, and and Michael Collins. Uh, I guess you didn't work too much with Michael because he he, he wasn't going to walk on the moon. Is that correct? Right. He was the command module pilot, and he orbited the moon. And uh, he did not get involved with the uh, the PLSS, the Portable Life Support System. Neil Armstrong was extremely businesslike. Um, and he very rarely smiled. And Buzz Aldrin uh, also was very businesslike. And he very rarely smiled. Uh, so it was, a, uh, it was a relationship that was strictly business. These guys were focused on one thing, and that was uh, training to go to the moon. And that was it. And this was weeks, just weeks before they were going, right? I mean, you guys all must have been uh, so intense in the work. You knew what this mission meant and uh, must have been an amazing time. Well, it was, it was incredible. Uh, we, we actually um, uh, tested the, the backpacks, Neil Armstrong's backpack before flight. Uh, the final acceptance of the backpack was on July 10th, which was what, uh, six days before liftoff? Yeah, six days. And, and we actually, uh, we, uh, I remember working overtime on the night shift, uh, the midnight shift, the graveyard shift, testing the backpack. And I remember the next day, uh, everything went fine. And uh, I signed off on, uh, on accepting uh, uh, 
Neil Armstrong's backpack for flight. So wow. that 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 was an amazing, amazing experience. I I, I bet. <laughs> so one of the one of the things though, on the other hand, that the backup crews they these guys were doing pulling gags. Maybe not on Neil and Buzz, but in later missions, right? They you guys were uh, you th these guys these astronauts were breaking the tension of this hard work by pulling tricks on each other. Is that tell us a little bit about that? <laughs> For instance, some, something that happened to, say, Alan Shepard and a small gift that went up, uh, a flown item gift that went up uh, to kind of tease Alan Shepard. Alan Shepard was the ultimate uh, uh, fun-loving guy. Uh, he, he, he loved to pull pranks, and uh, it was known that he pulled pranks from the very beginning when he was in the Mercury program. But getting back to uh, my experience uh, I was fortunate enough to be invited to uh, the Apollo 14 uh, uh, pre-launch party at the Astronaut Beach House. So I decided that I would uh, present the astronauts with gag gifts. Now, I was a little reluctant with respect to Ed Mitchell because he seemed to be a very serious guy. But I knew that uh, Al Shepard would... Uh, appreciate what I decided to give them. So the first thing I gave them was, was an enema bag, and that was supposed to be a backup for their urine transfer collection assembly, uh, the device that if they had to urinate on the moon, they used. The second gag gift I gave them was an Instamatic uh, a camera that I, I told them was to be used in case their Hasselblad camera didn't function. And the gift that uh, was the funniest was a baby bottle nipple. Now, the background on that had to do with crew training outside on the simulated lunar surface. For Apollo 14, uh, Apollo 14 was the first time that the astronauts had the ability to drink water inside the spacesuit with the helmet on. They had what they called um, a, a, a drink bag. And the, the uh, end of it that the astronauts had to suck on, according to Al, was very uncomfortable. And he constantly complained about it. And one, and one day during an exercise, he said, I'd rather be sucking on a baby bottle nipple. So... I said to myself, well, why don't I present him a baby bottle nipple as one of the gag gifts at the pre-launch party? And I did. And they laughed. And I remember Ed Mitchell saying to Al something to the effect, uh, why don't we take this to the moon? <laughs> Well, it's a it's a fantastic story, but I saw I saw Cass' uh, eyes light up when you said there was an astronaut beach house. No, <laughs> astronaut beach house sounds like a, a perfect '60s movie, with like beautiful women and and parties and <laughs> handsome astronauts on the beach. I mean, well, I have to house. tell you, I have to tell you what happened at the beach house stayed at the beach house. <laughs> Well, there's some evidence, you know, there's some photographs we have that you... Yes. Now, I was, I was a bachelor at the time, and uh, I decided that it would be nice to have parties at my apartment in Cocoa Beach uh, for the support crew, the people I worked with. 
one one evening at one of my parties, I get a phone call about a half hour before everybody arrived. And and on the phone, believe it or not, was Al Shepard. He said, Dan, this is Al, Al Shepard. Uh, I heard about your party. Would it be all right if I, I came and I brought some friends? Uh, what am I going to say? Of course. <laughs> of, course you, of course you can come. <laughs> uh, and um, make a long story short, he came in with uh, – uh, that particular party, he came in with uh, uh, Gene Cernan. Uh, he came in with Dick Slayton, um, uh, Bob Palmer, uh, um, Charlie Duke. Uh, wow, the whole uh, the whole bunch of them. <laughs> a whole bunch of guys, yeah. And uh, we happened to, I happened to set it up as a Halloween party because it 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 was in October, and they had a great time. We were dunking for apples, and uh, uh, we have action was, shots of that, I believe. Yes, yes you do. Yes you do. <laughs> I love the I love and, the yes that the the slice of of 1970s fashion that's in those photos they're they're gold. They're just the that wide white belt you're wearing and the Oh, the, yes, the, yes. The ladies' that, hair and and the and the yes, the, the patterns yes. and stuff. It's fantastic. And then and yes. then and Gene Cernan with a apple in his mouth like with a a, a a beautiful blonde lady. Is that his? Is that his wife, Dan? No, no, no. You see, no, no. Well, that kind of could be. Anyway, you can't see her. But anyway, it looks like you guys had a a a lot of fun, uh, a lot of fun times together. Um, one of the things that you you've collected here is the is the undergarments. You know, people seem to be very. I've always been fascinated by astronaut underwear. You already kind of explained to, to us how. Uh, astronauts went to the to the bathroom, but these undergarments are they're pretty cool. Well, the one garment that I actually wore uh, was called the uh, constant wear garment, and it looked like a pair of pajamas, but it was a lot more sophisticated. When it was worn, it had pockets for things like a radiation detectors. It had a pocket for a, a biomedical belt that uh, was connected to uh, 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 the astronaut's chest to monitor their EKG, et cetera. The one thing I want to um, talk about the Pliss, you know, you checked all these out, but what happened to them all? Where are they all now? They're on the moon. That's right. They couldn't get them back in. You know, they, but right. so they, they, they were thrown out the hatch, and every time one was thrown out, my, my heart stopped. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> so, they couldn't they didn't have Kathy, they didn't have room to bring them back and uh, well they right. had room to bring them i'm well, not following <laughs> I, i'm no i'm yeah, no was, engineer but <laughs> it was a weight factor it was a weight factor oh because factor. they collected yeah. items on the moon so naturally right right exactly so, so all your hard work still is on the the lunar surface uh, so, so you're what? so you're a moon litterer is what i'm i'm getting is, is yeah, that the well, takeaway message here <laughs> Listen, if I live long enough, I plan to go up there and and see if I can bring some of that stuff back. <laughs> Excellent. We'll find you know, our auction will finance that, Dan. I think we just got to talk to the boss because we could sell that <laughs> stuff together. We ought to go get it. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. Sounds good. I went to uh, an auction in New York where they sold the first lunar uh, sample bag. I guess uh, from one point eight million dollars broke our record. We sold a Boulevard, Apollo 15 Boulevard watch for $1.6 and just that, that was the world record price for uh, an American space artifact. And 
That oh, was wow. that was just broken. But you have some you had some sample collection bags in your in your auction. I think are pretty cool. Yes, those were used uh, to collect uh, soil soil samples, and uh, one of them is a uh, cylindrical plastic bag that was used on Apollo uh, 11, uh, 12, uh, 13, and, uh, and 14. Obviously, they weren't able to use it on Apollo 13 because we never made it there. And the other one was, and obviously that was used in training at the Kennedy Space Center. And the other bag is a flat bag that was used on Apollo uh, 15, 16, and 17. And that actually was uh, connected uh, to the Hasselblad camera. It actually hung off the side of the Hasselblad camera. And one astronaut would, the astronaut would pull it out of a container, open it up, and the other astronaut would scoop uh, the soil sample into it. And there was a metal rim, a, a metal rim on the top, that was squeezed tight, so to contain the soil in inside it. So those were you actually used during uh, during training during our training exercises uh, at uh, at Kennedy Space Center. Wow, Dan has an incredible archive that really tells the story of the Apollo program. I think it's about 143 lots. Uh, and it, it covers the whole story, I think, uh, from Apollo 11 to Apollo 17 and then some with some good behind the scenes things and all kinds of different, uh, artifacts and memorabilia. And we encourage you to check them out at rrauction.com. The, uh, auction is on October 19th, 2017. Now, if you, if you listen to this podcast after that date, uh, we're going to have a nice web page of all of Dan's things um, that you can look at, uh, so you can really appreciate how great of a collection this this is. Uh, and you know, it, I think that Dan summed it up wonderfully with this quote that we're uh, we have in the the catalog, where he said, "It was difficult to believe I would be part of a team that would change science fiction to science fact, and just that we're." fortunate enough to talk to somebody who was there at that, you know, most exciting period in my mind of this, the space exploration program. It's just, we're really grateful. And you're one of the few people that there with Neil and Buzz and then got to know the rest of the guys. Um, you know, uh, Gene Cernan was a friend of our auctions as well as uh, Edgar Mitchell was as well. Um, these are all great, great guys and we miss them. I was sitting at home watching Apollo 17, and uh, all of a sudden I heard Gene Cernan say, I'm going to miss Danny out there on the porch to hand him those light blisses. He was referring to uh, uh, a training exercise, but uh, I, was, I was shocked that he mentioned my name on the moon. That, that's amazing. We're going to have to get that. Uh, does that exist still? Uh, yes. Yes, it's part of the... Uh, uh, it's part of the com. Actually, I, I I have a tape of it too, well, but you can see it. You can see it on the communications between the uh, the spacecraft and Earth. Well, I, I'm excited. I'm going to go listen to that because, uh, like I said, Gene was very important to us. Uh, always, always was very kind with his time, 
And he's a great guy. Cernan, you know, even in his eighties, had that twinkle in his eye. You know, he he was like Mick Jagger or something. You know, when even in his eighties, Dan, when we would see him at uh, Space Fest, uh, he he was just a magnet, uh, wasn't he? He was just what an amazing man. He was extremely outgoing. Uh, he loved to talk to people, and he was very down to earth. Listen, Dan, it's been wonderful talking to you. We can't wait for the sale. Uh, this is going to be. This is some really exciting stuff. And again, thank you so much for curating this collection and keeping it, you know, for these last fifty years, and then allowing us uh, to sell it for you because uh, it's an. It's really an honor. It's an honor to talk to you, and we're honored. We're honored to be able to sell these things for you and get these in the hands of collectors that will cherish them and understand their importance it was really great talking with you thank you so much for the opportunity the dan shaywitz collection at rrauction.com october 19th is the day of the auction uh kath it's really amazing to talk to a guy like that it was an incredible first-hand account that i feel lucky to have listened to absolutely so go on to our website rrauction.com register for the auction and check out dan's collection and we'll see you next time on the Rare and Remarkable Podcast.